Are you ready? Let me say it first. You repeat it after me. John. My name is Tim Lemire, and I love the Beatles. I also love language. I'm a writer, editor, and author, so language is my livelihood. Why not make a podcast where I use the Beatles' music to talk about the English language? This is The Beatles' English. Episode 8. Goo Goo Gajoob. I was talking to someone recently about the idea behind this podcast, using Beatles songs to talk about the English language. And they said, oh man, you gotta do I Am The Walrus. That song is crazy. It is. It is crazy. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's fair to say that I Am The Walrus is the Beatles at their psychedelic peak. Even more so than Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, whose lyrics, while surreal at least tell some kind of coherent story. I Am the Walrus, by contrast, is like a kitchen sink kind of a song, in that it combines rock instruments, classical instruments, sound effects, a lead vocal filtered through different effects, and lyrics that are strange and incoherent. So initially, I didn't want to do an episode on I Am the Walrus because I didn't want to go line by line through this bizarre song trying to decipher what it means. And I didn't feel like using its lyrics to explain the difference between a direct object and an indirect object. But I thought about it some more, and I think there's a more interesting and informative approach, and that's to focus on one line. Goo goo gajoob. First, let's talk a little about how this song was written. When Beatlemania first hit, in England in 1963, and in America in 1964, a lot of people, music critics included, thought that the Beatles were a flash in the pan, a passing phase, a boy band for screaming preteen girls. But by 1966, with the release of the album Revolver, which includes songs not typical of a boy band, such as Eleanor Rigby and Tomorrow Never Knows, music critics and observers were starting to take the Beatles, and by extension rock music, more seriously. So much so, that by 1967, John Lennon reportedly received word that students in his former school in Liverpool were studying Beatle lyrics in class, presumably as poetry. Now, that certainly flattered John's ego, But it also made him a little peeved, because John thought back to times in school when his teachers thought that he was lazy or wasting his energies on his drawings and humorous verse and stories, and now his school is dignifying this work by studying Beatle lyrics in earnest. So as a response to this, John Lennon set out to write a song that was so willfully obscure and enigmatic, that anyone who tried to find meaning in it would be digging a hole to China. 
The lyrics to I Am the Walrus are, to use literary terms, stream of consciousness, and like spontaneous writing, with John incorporating bits of childhood rhyme, phrases that came to him under the influence of LSD, nonsense, references to books he loved in childhood, such as Alice in Wonderland, and whatever else crossed his field of perception. Whenever I recommend books on the Beatles, I always mention an excellent one called Revolution in the Head by the late Ian MacDonald. He does an outstanding job analyzing the song structure, musical production, and significance of every song in the Beatles catalog. MacDonald makes what I think is an excellent case that I Am the Walrus is a protest song. How so? MacDonald argues that Lennon's deliberate use of nonsense and fractured imagery and language is a retaliatory strike against right-brain thinking, order, the logic of the establishment, and the institutions of culture. I bring all this up because I think this will help us decode and understand what the words goo-goo-gajoob could or might mean. The Beatles' single, Hello, Goodbye, backed with I Am the Walrus, is released on November 24, 1967. Three months later, in February 1968, Simon and Garfunkel record the song Mrs. Robinson, which contains the lyric, Cuckoo-cachoo, Mrs. Robinson. Now, it's tempting to think that Paul Simon was giving a wink to the Beatles, but I've yet to find an interview with Simon in which he confirms that this was the case. Cuckoo-cachoo sounds very much like coochie-coochie-coo, which is what we say to babies when we tickle them. Why do we say this? Well, the etymology is unclear. It may simply be because babies babble, so we speak to them in nonsense or made-up words. One of my favorite tidbits of etymology is that the word infant comes from the Latin for one who cannot speak. Baby talk is also something that adults in love, in their very private moments, may use with each other. In John Lee Hooker's song, Boom Boom, which he can be seen performing in the movie The Blues Brothers, he addresses his love interest saying, when you're talking to me, That baby talk, I like it like that. Is that what goo-goo-gajoob is? A kind of baby talk? Well, it contains goo-goo, which I personally have heard a lot of babies say. If you're of a certain age, you may have grown up watching the cartoon show The Jetsons. It was kind of like the Flintstones, insofar as the joke was that regardless of whether you're in the Stone Age or in the far and distant future... Some things about family, friends, and work do not change. In one episode of The Jetsons, the teenage daughter Judy Jetson becomes a big fan of the latest singing sensation, a space-age crooner named Jet Screamer. And to Judy's delight, Jet Screamer holds a songwriting contest in which you can win a date with him. Judy Jetson's entry is based on a note that her younger brother Elroy passes to one of his friends in school. It's in a secret code. Elroy's note means to say, meet me tonight, 
but the coded language is eep, op, ork, ah-ah. Judy wins the contest, of course, and Jet Screamer has a new hit song, which you can find on YouTube. In the song, the lyric goes, eep, op, ork, ah-ah, and that means I love you. Is Goo Goo Gajub a form of code between the walrus and the listener? If so, why would the walrus speak in code? If Ian MacDonald is correct, and I Am the Walrus is a protest song, is Goo Goo Gajub a kind of coded language meant to dodge the comprehension of the right-brain establishment to reach the left-brain impulses of like-minded listeners? There is much precedent to I Am the Walrus in rock and pop music of using gibberish and nonsense language for various effects. In 1961, a group called the Edsels sang I've Got a Girl named Rama Lama Rama Lama Ding Dong. Now, that is probably not her given name, but if the singer does not want to reveal the name of his girlfriend or his secret crush, he might substitute nonsense words. In 1963, the female quartet The Crystals released their biggest hit, a song about a boy the female singer had fallen in love with. This boy's name is Bill, and yet the female singer feels compelled to repeat what becomes the title of the song, Da Do Ron Ron. It seems to be an ebullient expression of enthusiasm. I met him on a Sunday, and my heart stood still. Da Do Ron Ron Ron, Da Do Ron Ron. Fast forward to 1980 the band The Police release a song whose lyrics argue that words, while often persuasive and powerful, are sometimes simply inadequate to the task. Sting, the lead singer, sings, And when the eloquence escapes me, their logic ties me up and rapes me. Therefore, do-do-do-do, da-da-da-da, is all I want to say to you. So there is baby talk again, or perhaps a code that only the lover will understand. In some songs, the nonsense is there to fill the beat with words. In effect, turning words into a kind of phonetic music, as in the opening line of Little Richard's Tutti Frutti. Womp, bomp, aloo, bomp, balomp, bam, boom. In jazz, this is known as scatting, or scat singing which, like some instrumental solos in jazz, is improvised. It's different each time the performer does it. Why does a performer scat? It could be to make the song funny or interesting. It could be to make the voice sound like a musical instrument. Or who knows, maybe the singer just forgot the lyrics. Is Goo Goo Gajub a kind of scatting? manipulating syllabic nonsense to fit the beat. Is it code? Is it an approximation of the sound walruses make? Or does it mean nothing at all? Is it nonsense, anti-sense, a sort of Dadaist slogan? When you hear da-do-do-do, da-da-da-da, or eep-op-ork-ah-ah, 
you might remember a song released in 1958, recorded by Ross Bagdasarian Sr. under his stage name, David Seville. David Seville, of course, went on to create the characters The Chipmunks, one of the many acts to cover the songs of the Beatles. It was a novelty record called Witch Doctor, in which the singer goes to the titular character for love advice, and the response, a parody of foreign patois, is to go ooe-ooh-ah-ah-ting-tang-wall-walla-bing-bang. So remember, the witch doctor wants the singer to say this to his love interest. Perhaps ooe-ooh-ah-ah is a spell, a magic phrase, like abacadabra or hocus-pocus. Say it, and your love interest will fall in love with you. Perhaps then, and this is my own personal theory, goo-goo-gajoob is walrus language for something. Perhaps for I am the walrus. Countless performers and bands, as you know, have done cover versions of songs by the Beatles, and yes, I am the walrus included. You can go on YouTube and listen to cover versions by Styx, The Flaming Lips, Jim Carrey, and Oasis, among others. You know, I, I wonder what it would sound like if Bob Dylan did a cover version of I Am the Walrus. John? I am he is you, he is we are thee, and you are all together. Boo, 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 boo. See how they're okay. all like peas. In 1967, the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC, banned the song I Am the Walrus from radio airplay. And it wasn't because they suspected that Goo Goo Gajoob was code for something. Can you guess why the song was banned? The official line was that it was because of the song's use of the word knickers in the line, Boy, you've been a naughty girl. You let your knickers down. Knickers, as you may know, is British slang for women's underwear. The term is derived from the longer word knickerbockers. The American author, Washington Irving, best known for Rip Van Winkle and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, had quite a title for his first novel, A History of New York from the Beginning of the World to the End of the Dutch Dynasty. The conceit of this novel, a satire, was that it was written by a Dutch historian named Diedrich Knickerbocker. And this fellow, in Irving's novel, was known to wear a kind of baggy-kneed trousers. And hence, the word Knickerbockers entered public discourse to describe pants for men that ended at the knee. Remember that Irving's novel is a history of New York. So New Yorkers were subsequently referred to as Knickerbockers. And today you may be a fan of their basketball team, the Knicks, short for Knickerbockers. Another fair reason why the BBC would ban the song I Am the Walrus is for the use of the term pornographic priestess, and especially bloody in Stupid Bloody Tuesday. In the 1969 movie, The Italian Job, actor Michael Caine delivers a line to a demolitions expert. You are only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. 
Now today, anyone who does, or in my case tries to do, an imitation of Michael Caine says that line. And in 2018, Michael Caine himself titled his memoir, Blowing the Bloody Doors Off. What is lost by now to time is a socio-cultural agreement that the word bloody, as an adverb, adjective, or intensifier, was considered obscene in the British Commonwealth, going back as far as the 18th century. Bloody was not a word that the upper classes or educated citizens considered at all acceptable. Now, if that sounds precious or ridiculous, it was not that long ago on American television that you couldn't say ass or even damn, never mind the profanity to which people young and old are treated today as we stream shows and movies over our TVs, computers, and phones. Heck, today even Ron Weasley says bloody hell in the Harry Potter movies. The etymology of the intensifier bloody dates back to saying God's blood, referring to Jesus and the spilled blood of his holy sacrifice. God's blood becomes bloody, just as God's hooks, the nails used on Jesus' cross, become gadzooks. Okay, trivia time. At the end of I Am the Walrus, underneath the cacophony of musical instruments, chanting voices, and what sounds like radio static, can be heard an exchange of British voices, like the broadcast of a play. It is a BBC broadcast of a play. Name the author of the play and the title of the play. Before we answer that, a brief word that my name is Tim Lemire. You can find episodes of The Beatles English on Apple Podcasts and on my website at timlemire.com, where you'll also find more information about me. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. That helps other Beatle people to find it. The broadcast at the end of I Am the Walrus is of King Lear, of course, by William Shakespeare. It is Act 4, Scene 6, when Goneril's steward, a character named Oswald, is killed. Let's hear it without the music. Bury my body and give the letters which thou find'st about me to Edmund Earl of Gloucester. Seek him out upon the British party. Oh, untimely death. Death. I know thee well. A serviceable villain. As duteous to the vices of thy mistress as bad as would desire. What? Is he dead? Sit you down, father. Rest you. It's a sad irony, of course, that this snippet includes the line, Oh, untimely death, which is a fitting description of the end of John Lennon's life. Thank you for listening, and I hope this podcast has encouraged you to think about I Am the Walrus and the English language in a new way. My name is Tim Lemire, and this is The Beatles' English.